Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Something that grand can mean only one thing. Time for the next edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Good day. I'm your host, Nikki Dakota, joined in the studio live and in person by J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist to the Coen Brothers for 20 years and counting, and friend to all the big stars. He's our friend, too, J. Todd Anderson. You dirty rats. <laughs> you, you dirty rats. Never be a sucker. <laughs> also, never a sucker. And joining us by the telephone line, connecting us to Culpeper, Virginia. He is the other half of the amazing Frame Brain Collective that is called the Film Guys. He's the nitrate film archivist at the Library of Congress. Our man at the Library of Congress. He's George Willeman. George, welcome. I'm saying a prayer for a boy who couldn't eat as fast as I could. <laughs> <laughs> and he went to reform school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good to be back on the air and live. We're out of summer hiatus. We got uh, all sorts of special treats in the air and a great season of Filmically Perfect coming and our we way. We are doing one of the most persuasive, influential films of all time today. And what film? Beats Blanket Bingo. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Bud, Bud, stop putting those papers in front of him. Bud Inski went in there and put his notes in front of him again. The guy's always trying to bushwhack us with a secret movie he wants to do. I have a, not much of a soft spot for that one. However, the film we're talking about today is, uh, it's old. This is an old film, 70 years old this year. Right. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, it's still just as valid as, it's a perfect movie, of course, but it's still just as valid as the day it came out in Mostly because of the ending. And that movie is, tell them, George. Angels with Dirty Faces. I love that title. Just absolutely one of the greatest pictures ever made. Now, it's, a we... much be- it's a much better title than what the working title was, which I believe was uh, Battle for City Hall. Yeah. That just sounds like <laughs> some boardroom guy made that one up, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's board, an absolute, it is guy. an absolute uh, perfect movie. And, you know, we could take your word for it and just leave it at that. But the truth is your word okay. based on <laughs> your word is based on a very, very strict set of rules. And, gentlemen, these rules, which are trademarked and, and, right. and, and with a heart of gold. gentlemen, We these, have a trademark on perfection here. <laughs> these rules are? Angels with Dirty Faces creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, <laughs> it retains its meaning and entertainment value. And a perfect movie never displaced any preferential numerical order. Each film was perfect by its own scale. Yeah. yeah. And that was about the worst James Cameron <laughs> You can't see us flexing our shoulders in here like he does and standing on our toes. <laughs> if you didn't know, we should mention that James Cagney uh, is is the star yes. of this James film. Actually, I, we were talking yesterday, and this film actually has a star, a superstar, and an up-and-comer as three of the main characters. And the up-and-comer went on to be... Be Bigger yeah. Than any of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so I mean, the star you have Pat O'Brien, who was a star. I mean, he's a major. Star oh, he was a major star. Yeah. And then, but then by this time, Cagney was a was Warner Brothers superstar. He was the golden boy there. And then in a smaller role, we have Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. 
And no, he's, this, he's, he's the weasel away. in this picture. Dunk. He's the weasel in this thing, man. And he sweats a lot. It's our favorite kind of character. Sweats a the lot. Sweater. And he's a lawyer. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Ew. The weasel barrister. <laughs> so, Angels with Dirty Faces, which... Um, I, incidentally, if you look up uh, that internet movie database, internet it's movie a, database. such a great place to find out about movies. And they also have a little section that will show movies that then later reference that movie. And this movie is referenced over and over and over again. Kind of set the tone for Warner's. I mean, they've been doing a lot of gangster pictures up to that point. But for some reason, they really cut the deepest groove on this picture in 1938 with this. Wouldn't you yeah, agree, George? This was a big movie. Um I mean, they, just the look of it, you could see that they spent a lot of money. And huge the backlot set that the they have of old New York. The is unbelievable. This and is their idea of a period piece in 1938. And it was, yeah. so it opens um, with a man holding up a headline that says, Harding nominated to president, which was, I happen to know, back in 1920, I do believe. So, so this was only some 20 years previous that they're setting the stage for. And you're telling me that opening scene with all that sort of tenement housing was completely built. That oh, yeah, that, all, big yeah, that is stuff, all the yeah. backlot. In fact, I was looking at it closely, and I think when I got to visit Warner Brothers Studios a few years ago, that street is still there, and it's oh. still being used. And if I'm not mistaken, the end of that street is actually where, probably where the hospital set for ER now stands. There's not much of a backlot on Warner's set, but no. there is a piece of it back there. You know, it's yep. not much, but it's there. Well, before we get uh, much further along, let's have just a general overview of the action in the film, George, that does begin in 1920 with this uh, this uh, just black and white glory. Well, interesting enough, the, the story is basically about two men uh, who start out as boys at the beginning, uh, Jerry Connolly and, and Rocky Sullivan, growing up in, in Hell's Kitchen in New York. And um, one day, they they're they're stealing fountain pens from a from a railroad car, and they get caught by the the cops. And Jerry gets away, and Rocky doesn't. So Rocky ends up going to reform school. And there's this great montage where you see Rocky basically going in and out of reform school, and in and out of jail. And some twenty years go by, and uh, they meet up again years later. Rocky has just got out of prison. And Jerry, in the, in the intermediate-aiding years, has become the parish priest in the same neighborhood where they grew up. So Rocky, of course, is going to is getting mixed up again with criminals, and, and he goes and sees his lawyer, who is Humphrey Bogart, who he had trusted to hold on to this $100,000. Well, it turns out that he's taken this $100,000 and built this, this club, this nightclub, uh, and is also basically cheating Rocky out of his money. So the story then turns to where uh, uh, Rocky is now a marked man who the mob is trying to get rid of. And they chase him all over town trying to get rid of him. And every time they try to get rid of him, they screw it up. <laughs> right. So Rocky finally confronts them. You know, and, and Jerry, of course, all this time, Jerry is trying to convince his friend to, to walk the straight and narrow and, you know, and, and be a good guy. And in the in the interim, the Rocky meets up with a local gang of kids, the Angels, basically the Angels with Dirty Faces, who are played by uh, basically the kids from the movie Dead Ends that came out a year or so earlier, and the kids who basically played kids 
for the next 25 years. As dead-end so kids. they were all grandparents. They were all called the dead-end kids until the dead-end dead of their old age. Yeah. I've heard that, that term Hunt used Hall even through to this kids. day. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Leo Gorsi and Hunt Hall, uh, the two main ones who were in this one. And no, they, not... they actually are kids in this movie. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but um, yeah, and Jerry, uh, Father Jerry begins to notice that the kids are dressing better and they're, they've got money. And they don't, want to <laughs> they don't listen to him so well and anymore. They don't listen to him very much anymore. Yeah. And he realizes that Rocky, of course, who is you know, the sort of the glamour character of them because he's successful and he's a criminal and he's exciting, and he's given them money to, to be his sort of his, his, uh, his bag man. And um, so Jerry, Father Jerry gets involved in this city, citywide crusade to clean up the town, and of course, his best friend is the main person he has to go after. They try to bribe Father Jerry, but he won't have any of it. So then they decide they're going to get rid of Father Jerry. And this is too much for, for Rocky, who overhears this. And he confronts the leader of the bad guys, who's played by George Bancroft, who was one of the first gangster actors in the late silent era. He played quite a few gangster actors. Yep. He, he kills, kills George Bancroft's character, and then he kills the Weasley lawyer. Bogart. And then the cops come down on him, and there's this huge holdout where he ends up, Rocky ends up killing several policemen. So he finally gets caught, um, and they get uh, uh, Father Jerry actually goes in and convinces him to come out, but then kind of double crosses him, and it's you know a little more complicated than I want to get into. And uh, Rocky ends up going to jail and being you know uh, found guilty of murder and is going to die in the electric chair. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that ending a, a little later in this show because it's this is the ending of this movie is why it's still around. Uh, it has influenced. A lot of people through the last 70 years. The ending of this movie has influenced so many people, and you'll hear uh, a lot of world leaders talk about the ending of this movie and how, you know, when they're trying to make decisions and everything. Of course, it's like George Bush saying that, you know, uh, High Noon, you know, or Ronald, all those guys saying High Noon influenced this movie in a very similar way influenced a lot of people simply because of the ending. Uh, we do have a little piece here, uh, George, uh, the, uh, the coward talk, is that what you called it? Todd? Well, they want him to become, uh, uh, Father Jerry wants him to turn coward so he won't be such a bad influence on these kids. So if he looks like a coward, they won't want to emulate him. That's right. Right. If he, yeah, he knows he's going to die, and Father Jerry wants him to play coward. This is classic going under the chair stuff here, folks. So Shall we hear it now, George? Uh, yeah, go yeah. ahead. This, yeah. Is, this is them in the jail cell near the end. All right. We haven't got a lot of time. I want to ask you one last favor. There's not much up that I can do, kid. Yes, sir, there's Rocky. Perhaps more than you could do under any other circumstances. If you have the courage for it, and I know you have. You know, Jerry, I think in order to be afraid, you you got to have a heart. I don't think I got one. I had that cut out of me a long time ago. Suppose I asked you to have the heart. Hmm? To be scared. What do you mean? Suppose at the last minute the guards dragged you out here screaming for mercy. Suppose you went to the chair yellow. You ask me to pull an act, turn yellow, so those kids will think I'm no good? You ask me to throw away the only thing I got left, the only thing I've been able to take away from me. Ask me to crawl on my belly, last thing I do in life. I know what I'm asking. And the reason I'm asking is because being kids together sort of gave me the idea that you might like to join hands with me and save some of those other boys from ending up here. Not then, Don. You're asking too much. You want to help those kids? You got to figure out some other way. Well, it's impossible to do it without your help, Rocky. I can't reach all of those boys. Thousands of hero-worshipping kids all over the country. Oh, don't give me that new mind if you stop again, will you? 
I had never done in a courtroom. Told everything I knew, name names. You had to load down the whole dirty mess. Now, what more do you want? What I've always wanted, Rocky. Straighten yourself out with God. Oh, <laughs> just, just hit me in the stomach, why don't you? Oh. And it's interesting, this is like seven years after the public enemy, which, of course, was Cagney's big breakthrough picture. And this is post-code. And it's to see how he has developed this Cagney character to such a degree. He can spit out these lines so fast, but you can still understand what he's saying. Which yeah, is yeah. And, you know, he was gone for two years in a contract dispute from Warner Brother Pictures at that time. And this is his, I believe it's his first picture back. Come back, and, come um, back picture. Yeah, I mean, uh, return. It's a return. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not come back, it's return. Right. Oh, return. <laughs> return. Yeah. Uh, and and boy is he uh, they're they're uh, they're going after it with all the velocity they can. It just so happens I don't think that when they were writing this movie that they had any idea what they were. You know, so many times when these people make these movies, they have no idea what happens to them years down the road. But this scene, in which we will give the compendium uh, side of the scene, and we are doing the uh, this is a. Um, we are alerting people to the ending here, so we better get the spoiler alert out there. Yeah, we should uh, just yeah, go definitely. ahead and play it now, just yeah, to just get, get everybody yeah, ready. Get the spoiler alert out of the way. It's uh, one of the uh, the best endings ever. <laughs> this this could be one of the, one of the mo- very few movies we do that's perfect because, simply because of the ending. I mean, you know, it's like when the teacher tells you this will be seventy percent of your grade. You know, <laughs> that's this ending is like. <laughs> honestly, is what moves this movie into absolute perfection. Don't you right. think, George? I, I definitely think it is, but let me let me say something before you play it. Okay. Are you getting ready to play it? Uh, I've got it queued up. Okay. Um, what happens is, of course, after the discussion you have just heard, uh, they come and they take Rocky down the long mile for his, you know, for the last walk and all that. And and he's just he's just defiant, you know. It's oh, yeah, agony. Man. His face is all curled up in a snarl and and um, he wants nothing to do with anything. And he told Father Jerry, "Forget about it." And they're not going to go yellow. They bring him into the, the the death room, and all the reporters and witnesses are there. And and it's, it's just this beautiful expressionistic scene where you see the shadow of all the electrical. They have everybody staring at him, and you got all these like terrible right. cold and metal right. handles. And... and Father Jerry is just—he's just beside himself. And, and they don't show terrible. the chair. I, I don't. No, they never it. show the actual yeah. chair. And so he sees him take Rocky into the death room and then go ahead and play it, because this is what happens. No. I don't want to die, oh, please. I don't want to die, oh, please. Oh, don't make me burn that off. Oh, please, let go of me. Please, no, give me. Yeah, you don't see Once it. Once he goes in the door, you never see. All you see is his hand. Now that that 
a, uh, a steam radiator, but you never see Rocky. That, um, what you see, that dirty rat was going to spit in my eye. That was not Pat O'Brien. That was a cop that, that he had had a tiff thing. with. So, yeah. so I know this is an audio kind of show because we're not, you know, we can't see the movie, but make sure you know that the dirty rat that was going to spit in my eye was not Pat O'Brien. The music that you heard was Pat O'Brien looking to heaven and thinking, <laughs> And he starts smiling, and Rocky kind of comes through for him, right, George? Well, yeah. Uh, well, also the the music is a is a sort of a, a, a remembrance back to early in the film. It was a, a song that you hear the the sort of urchin choir at the Catholic church singing early on. Yeah, Schubert. And Rocky uh... Rocky mentions to Jerry that you know he remembers you know when when we were in that choir you know back when we were kids. So it's sort of now, you know George said that you don't you don't see. Um, uh, Rocky at all, and if you watch this scene and you watch it very carefully, and now keep in mind this is one of the greatest directors that has ever lived. He's made like he made almost 117 films in 50 years at Warner's, and they were all different. And George and I constantly dare the auteurs of the world to challenge Michael Curtiz as far as an auteur because the man was absolutely just. A, a brilliant, brilliant director. Well, I hate to say it, but I've never even heard the man's name. Oh, what other, what other films? Is he, is, he, is one, he is often regarded as the greatest director that nobody knows. Yeah. And hmm. because you know, if you go back to his, I mean, the beginning of his career, he actually, when he started, he started in Europe. He's, uh, I believe he's from Austria. Um, and in Europe, he directed also from back to 1912. And he directed 172 films between Europe and America. From 1912 to 1961. It's amazing, the, the volume. Absolutely now, when you watch the end of the movie and, and you see all this violent cutting that you see in movies nowadays to get an image across, of course, the audiences are much different now, but you're going to see what looks like a lot of stuff happening, but it isn't. It's like five cuts. And George was talking about his hand, you know, gripping on the radiator or something, and then, and then you see him screaming in shadow. There's a shadow. His shadow is on the wall, and then you cut to people watching him scream, and all of a sudden, you are in Rocky's place. And here is the most valuable aspect of this film: is he putting it on for Father Jerry, or is he doing it for real? Is he actually yeah. terrified, and has he gone? Yellow? I remember when I was a little kid, we were watching this. My father said the same thing. You know, the big question is here is whether he's <laughs> really doing this for real, or whether he's doing it for Father Jerry. By the yeah, way, and, and it's played very loose, so it, you, you don't see, which is one reason why I think they don't show Rocky, because you could, you know, an actor could, could put on his face. Sure. But as Jed... As, so that's as, very clever uh, use device there. As so. George said before, when he's walking to the chair, that's where it all happens. Michael Curtiz is one of the masters of establishing something with like a cut or a simple insert. And and that scene that George is talking where he's walk up is a very, very famous visual motif of Cagney because it's kind of lit low and his yeah. eyes are flaring like the devil himself. And it's just Cagney showing you how to end a movie as an actor should end the movie. He takes the lead and just runs this movie through your head and into your soul just by watching well, him. And, and Curtis is one of the few directors I've really who's able to use camera movement and angles to, to add emotion to a shot. Because as the execution is progressing, you know, it starts out fairly normal, but as Rocky begins to freak out, 
when they cut back to the witnesses, suddenly he, he takes the camera and he tilts it slightly to put everything off center, and suddenly it becomes more psychotic almost. We're talking about 1938's Angels with Dirty Faces, the uh, James Cagney and uh, the the O'Brien fellow, who, whose name I don't know. Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien, and, and, and Humphrey Bogart, an early role for him that uh, has influenced so many movies since then. Is it, am I just stretching, imagining, was this one of the first movies to use that that style of ending where, where something happens and you just really don't know? I mean, you no, see I mean, the action, but... This, is, this was an original movie. And many times, I'm sure many people try to imitate it, but it's this is why this is a perfect picture because these two actors. Now, here's one of the most important aspects of this film between these two guys that are friends is that Rocky always takes one for the home team. Always. He gets caught on the in the beginning when George is talking about it, he climbs over the fence. He gets caught. And then even when they're friends, he says, oh, you're not going to kill Father Jerry. And he takes one for the home team. And that's what you're wondering. Did he really take it for the home team at the end? You know, how many cowards have we dealt with in society? It would never take one for the home team. But no matter how bad Rocky is in this movie, you admire this guy because you know deep down inside there's something good about that guy because he has a principle of taking it for the home team. And if it weren't that he got caught with that first little shenanigan, then the, even the father's path may may have been different been because changed, yeah. yeah, very cool. It's a very very. Uh, um, incredible bond of friendship that these two actors portray. Um, don't you think, George? I mean, it's just oh, yeah. it's it's so solid and it has so much fiber, these two guys, you know? Because, yeah, it would be so easy for Rocky. You know, Rocky's got money, he's got power, he's got women, he's got everything. and, and He's Father got Anne Sheridan, has, baby. Yeah, Father Jerry has... <laughs> Boy, nothing. she a vixen in 38. I and mean, Anne Sheridan's like 21 years old. She made like... I don't know, 15 movies before she was 22 years old. <laughs> Father Jerry has basically nothing, you know, so, I mean, Rocky doesn't really owe him anything, but but even with their their uh, their religious differences and their lifestyle differences, they remain friends right to the end. Yeah, their bond is just absolutely uh, unbreakable. Uh, and that's, you, the audience, start, kind of counseling these guys well, what they should do because you kind of get so involved in this picture. You know, you might want to cut it off right here, Father Jerry. I think that he's not going to be a real good influence on these kids. And uh, you can hear yourself talking when you're watching this. These kids are – I don't think you should let Rocky around these kids. He's not that good of an influence. And uh, But then you start thinking, well, maybe he is. You know, I think maybe he could he – could, maybe he could change for these kids. <laughs> And it's in black and white, of course, and it's it's just uh, really lovely. I watched, uh, by the way, a YouTube or interesting source. They have the trailer for that movie on there. You can go and watch the three-minute trailer, by the way. It seems long. That is a long trailer, but again, I think it was because this was sort of a prestige uh, A picture for Warner Brothers. So uh, they were spending the extra money, so they wanted to do a nice long trailer. Also, if, it was, if they would, um, you know, if this was, Cagney coming back to the fold, they want to let everybody know. You want to keep in mind when you're watching this movie, and I think Warner's has taken a great deal of care to keep this negative looking good, um, that when you're watching this movie, I know it seems like an old movie to people when you watch it. It's, oh, it's just an old movie. But you got to remember, this is a company throwing the best money they have, everything the best, everything is absolutely the best that they can throw at making a movie here, and the quality 
you know, regardless of time and, and changes, as you can see, it still looks like something they really worked hard at making a great movie. It's, uh, yeah, rule number three is nailed down. I also thought it was worth pointing out as far as rule number three, like despite cultural uh, changes, it always retains its entertainment value. One one thing I always love is when phrases from that film, even, yay, these What do you know, what do you late, say? What do you know, what do you say? Also, the uh, that opening line, something that he goes, hey, what's going on? The guy goes, it's dead as a doornail. I used, I said that my whole young life. I don't know how I must have picked it up from my grandparents or something. I don't know what, but such and such, like if a, a bug on the ground dead as a doornail. And the dead-end kids. I've heard that made reference to... Or, you know, I'm going to tell the electrician to go slow and easy on you, wise guy. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> that was the cop of his giving our boy Rocky. Yeah, the time. vernacular in the film, the, the script writing and everything is just top drawer on this one, so... And it kind of fits in because, because Warner Brothers was sort of the blue-collar studio, and, and you know, ever since the early 30s, they'd gotten into this uh, these sort of social realism pictures and gangster pictures. Now, here was like the perfect synthesis of both. And they always had probably their actors had a little bit more going on for them than most of the other studios. And, like, for instance, when I see an MGM logo come up, and I know it's going to be, like, Small C. And then like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And then I see Warner Brothers and I hear that great, that's Steiner score. Is that what it is, George? Yeah, usually? I know we're going to see a lot of action, some great characters like, you know, uh, uh, Eddie Robinson or Bogart or, and they're always there somewhere. The guys that are coming up are always buried in that cast and they're always great. Like Bogart, he's just smarmy smarmy cowardly guy and he he reacts on everything and he's real shifty and sweaty and almost everybody in this picture you'll see is sweating a little bit you know cortez is very careful to make sure you understand that there's a lot more going on here than a movie and he always makes his characters a little bit more real than most people we've been talking about angels with dirty faces 1938 uh say the the it's cortez say the name again for me george michael cortez michael cortez film who i guess this was what midway in his career as okay, look him up on the imdb look yeah. him up now here's what's amazing when today we're impressed that you know a, a big director can get out maybe one film a year or in some of them maybe one film every couple of years in 1938, Michael Curtis made five features, including And two that was before Texas. golf carts. That's right. You know, they, he had to walk from stage to stage and, and back two then. Of the films, two of the films he made in 1938 were in color, uh, one of them being Gold Where You Find It, and the other a little thing called The Adventures of Robin Hood. You know, sometimes it seems like maybe we should do a show on him. We very, are. Very, very we have that in the works. Oh, excellent. Yes, well, very good. There, there is not a genre that he did not tackle that he did not do well at, including horror, musicals, westerns. Here's the story, and I don't know if it's true, but they say that on his dying day, he was directing a movie, and he would never stop for lunch, and they found his his sides, that it was all curled up. There was a bologna sandwich in his sides, oh. and he had cancer or something, and he died Directing a movie with a baloney sandwich rolled up that he was meaning to get around to eating. That's yep. what kind of guy he was. Oh, hey, we are quickly quickly coming to the end. Let's just quickly review rules number one to create the world. I think that uh, that Absolutely. soundstage that did it. That Angels with Dirty Faces is his own world. And it yeah. sustains it throughout, and particularly with the dialogue, I would suggest. Absolutely. And, uh, and still... Relevance uh, through till today, uh, as we uh, as we uh, discover and rediscover different things about this movie. Seventy years ago, nineteen thirty-eight, gentlemen, J. Todd Anderson. Hey, one, yes. One thing, real quick. Yes. Did you know Warner Brothers made a sequel, like a year later, called 
angels wash their faces. No. Yes. Really? Yeah. With Ann Sheridan and Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Support <This> Public <laughs> Radio. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.